Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 118 of the Burner Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest comes to us from our friends over at C.S. Lewis Publicist, and his name is Chris Kane. Chris has worked in the corporate real estate sector for over 30 years, having operated as the vice president of international corporate real estate for the Walt Disney Company, before acting as head of corporate real estate at the BBC. His new book is titled, Where is My Office? Reimagining the Workplace for the 21st Century, and it investigates innovative corporate real estate thinking in the modern workplace. Now, we have a great conversation around this because, again, as with a lot of my guests lately, this is a very timely topic with us starting to come out of the COVID pandemic uh, with the way work has changed with the way people are demanding work to be changed, whether you're pro work from home or you want to return to the office, the future of corporate real estate is really going to look a lot different. What our offices look like, what our office spaces look like, how they're used, how they're set up, how they're utilized. And Chris has some great insight into that through this discussion. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get out of the way, let the stinger play, and let you get into this amazing interview with Chris Kane. Chris, thanks for being with us today. And Earl, it's great to have the opportunity of chatting with somebody from Indiana. <laughs> well, and, and as the listeners may have uh, picked up already, you got a little bit of a, a Irish accent going on there. So it's nice to be able to talk to somebody from across the pond today. So uh, thanks for, for bridging that time gap there to be with us. Really do appreciate that. I appreciate it. We, we live in a 24 by 7 world now and... Um, you know, it's, it's, isn't it fascinating, Earl, when you think about it, that, you know, in such a relatively short period of time, decades, that through technology, you know, we can talk as clear as a bell over what, three and a half, four thousand miles. Yeah. It's just beggar's belief, doesn't it? <laughs> it is. It is amazing. It is definitely amazing. Do you remember when AT&T used to charge you guys for calling long distance? Oh, wow. I got a story about that that got me in trouble when I was in the military. But uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, it's all coming out now. Well, well, yeah. How many people do you know that have rung up a $5,000 phone bill in one month? I've never, I, I know nothing, sir. I know nothing. Uh, well, I tell you what, Chris, before we get uh, too much further down the road here, let me go ahead, because given what we heard in your bio and, and knowing that you're not from the U.S., I'm really interested to hear your take on that kind of foundational question of the show. 
What does the phrase, the burden of command, mean to you? Wow. Um, I think uh, you have a great opening question. And my simple answer is two words. It's be yourself. I um, grew up in a very small village in Ireland of less than 100 people. Um, and I learned about leadership over uh, on a number of fronts. Uh, I learned about it in sports and leading sports teams at school and then going on to, to work and getting involved in team sports and in teams in work situations. And over my career, I was lucky enough to, uh, you know, to use military parlance to grow, to, gr to grow up through the ranks to get, you know, a top job in the world of corporate real estate and be accountable and responsible for, uh, you know, keeping the show on the air in the terms of the British Broadcasting Corporation or the BBC, where I was responsible for, you know, all operations and all major change programs for over a decade. And being in that um, leadership position, it was my um, first uh, major command, if that's the right phrase, where, you know, I found myself and I wasn't the leader. I used to say I'm accountable for over two and a half thousand people. And I think looking back at that period, um, I feel that uh, I made lots of mistakes for sure, but we had some remarkable successes, which enabled me to, to write the book. And the two words that would sum it up would be patience and perseverance. Uh, leaders, many leaders are impatient. And when you're leading an organization, you have to realize that you have to get everybody lined up and to help them understand what the mission is. And that takes time. And it's not an issue, as I learned, of, oh, we'll, we'll just send out an email and this is the direction. You have to, you know, I mean, uh, you use the, you know, the, the JFK quote of, you know, visiting NASA and talking to the, the person sweeping the floors and the answer about I'm helping putting a person on the moon. I think that's one of the great little tools to help people because in my, um, remit, I was, um, working with a remarkable, uh, bunch of people from, you know, I mean, cleaners, from contractors, from engineers, from, uh, professional um, designers, to real estate experts, to financial people, to, you know, I mean, a very broad church. Um, they all um, had different backgrounds, different educations, but they were all, we wanted to, you know, to be part of one team. And to do all of that, the person at the top has to be uh, able to stand up and be accountable for that organization and you know um it is a burden and it depends on the individual then whether you take that burden seriously and you know i mean you've interviewed many leaders and some uh would say that you know you get up the the greasy totem pole of any organization and once you get to the top you're in your corner office you have your executive car parking space and you don't care about anybody else 
That type of mindset may have worked reasonably well in the 20th century, but in the third decade of the 21st century, it won't cut it anymore. So I feel that all the things I've learned and many others, uh, I think, are quite similar that, you know, I mean, this um, the position of command is not a, a birthright. It's something you earn, but it's also something you've got to to work hard to be, um, you know, I mean, to 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 hold that, um, um, to hold that position. Like at the BBC, I would also say that because it was a public body, and it was an extremely high-profile job, I got <clears throat> to spend two billion dollars over my period of time there, and. The press, the other media, surprise, surprise, were always very interested in what was going on. So my wife described it as living in a goldfish bowl because everything you did, even certain aspects of your personal life, um, was um, scrutinised, not only by the media, but as a public body, uh, the, the British equivalent of your, you know, your Senate subcommittees and your grand juries exist on this side of the pond as well. And I've had my fair share of those as well, where your actions are put to public scrutiny and interrogated. And you've got to be, you know, I mean, sure of your brief and be able to demonstrate and substantiate the decisions you've taken. Wow. No, I love that. I mean, that was that was a really good answer there. And then you went into a lot, uh, which I love. And uh, I don't even know where to start now because you you said so much. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I really love everything that you said there. So uh, but especially that part about leadership. I think that was the really piece that I'd like to kind of focus on here a second, because I agree with you completely. And this is a thing that I find very hard to get leaders here in the U.S. to understand once I've worked with is nobody from on high can make you a leader. Like they can make you a manager. They can come down and invest the authority of management in you. But they can't make you a leader. That's something that comes from the people that willingly choose to follow you. It's a gift that they give you. And I really love the the fact that you work that in there and, and, and you feel the same way because it's so true, isn't it? I, I agree. And, you know, there's a whole variety of um, contradictory views out there. And, you know, I mean, the. There's um, stuff, and I'm going to be very blunt here, Errol, that, you know, there's stuff that people talk about in the public domain and there's stuff that they would say privately. And that goes to my point about being authentic. And, you know, the, um, you know, particularly when you, you look at the situation of how, how one leads and, you know, like, you know, all of the guys, you know, Patrick Lencioni has been writing about leadership and his books. You can look at it all. Um, and why is it that so many um, um, sort of HR functions and organizations look to the military to say, what, how do you define leadership? And you look at books like uh, Stanley McChrystal's book and how, uh, you know, he figured things out in the Middle East. And you look at all the other aspects. Um, leadership i don't think you can define in a in any textbook i think it'll be different things for 
different people, both authenticity and being human um, have, um, I think, uh, have been really useful for, for my tour of being responsible for people. Um, I've used uh, tools such as the high performing team methodology to, uh, I get no greater pleasure than seeing people develop. And, and that is in, you know, not only in developing people for leadership, but, you know, seeing people right at the, um, at the get go, like uh, one of my former colleagues from a uh, years and years ago, uh, grew up in the British educational system where the received wisdom was that for um, girls that at 16 there was no point in you going um, any for, into further education. So this particular lady whose uh, name is confidential um, basically ended up doing some secretarial work and uh, we started working together and I, um, I was really proud of the fact that I encouraged her to go and go back to college at night and to get um, some more qualifications. And she ended up working for a major American financial services company and running a team of 25 people. So that's my definition of leadership, that you lead people um, to evolve, to, de to develop if they want. And some people just want to collect their paycheck and go home in the evening. And that's fine too. And that's where the leader has to be able to have the ability to spot the folk who um, welcome and encourage and want. And if you talk to anyone on the, under 30 now, they are not that interested in the pay package. They're more interested in what's the quality of the leadership? Uh, what's your policy on the environment? Um, where are your, what's your ethics, your view on ethics? Um, what are you guys, and sadly it's guys, and you know, we still have got to sort out this whole uh, gender inequality, along with a lot of other inequalities, clearly. Um, but you know, in real estate in particular, whether you're in the US or on this side of the Atlantic, uh, misogyny is sadly um, prevalent and it needs to be eradicated um, like the plague. And I, I use those words uh, because I mean them, because we've got to have a much fairer business world. And that, too, is is a leadership role. We have to have the, the courage of our convictions to stand up and say things that need to be said. Mm. Again, I agree with everything you just said there, because it's so true. And it's that's really another kind of part of that that burden of command, that burden of, of leadership is to recognize that those gaps exist and be willing to stand up and, and take those stands and, and do what you did and encourage, you know, those women, encourage those minorities, encourage those people who don't have anybody else to encourage them to take these chances, to go and, and take these opportunities and use our positional authority, if you will, to create these opportunities that they may not have. So uh, I love that there. I will add one question that I think a lot of people, especially under 30, are asking right now as part of their uh, employment uh, interview process. And uh, somebody uh, somebody I know wrote a great book around this question. Uh, this guy named Chris Kane wrote a book called Where Is My Office? Uh, and, and I think a lot of folks are asking that question right now as they're looking for employment is where is my office? Yeah, well, uh, 
Errol, that's a great way of getting that into it. Um, I was um, shaving about five or six years ago and I decided to write a book about helping business leaders understand this crazy world of commercial real estate. And it came to me in terms of, as I said, uh, you know, I was trying to say, okay, well, what would a typical CEO of a business, well, you know, small, medium, large, it doesn't really matter, um, you know, who has worked hard, uh, got his executive car parking, his corner office, and then he's been faced with demands of saying, you've got to be more agile in your organization, you've got to move to open plan, you've got to get rid of your office. And it struck me that um, the, the that little phrase, where is my office, might just work. And um, I've never written a book before. Um, I had, uh, you know, so many... Um, Dear John letters saying they from publishers. And then I was very fortunate in 2019 that Bloomsbury, the publisher of the Harry Potter books, said, yeah, we'll give this crazy Irish guy a, um, a publishing commission. Because what they saw was that in writing the book, I wanted to explain to business how um, the whole system of real estate works. Because when you need space, you know, most people need a roof over their heads for whether it's an office, a manufacturing facility, a logistics setup, a shop or your homes. And the um, in the terms of commercial stuff, over many, many years, we've had this amazing commercial real estate system evolve based on the premise that people will always need space. So the system um, has evolved and, you know, to be fair, uh, many, many people have made uh, good livings out of it. And uh, I've often wondered about uh, whether the system was fair. And maybe I was the little uh, sort of the odd one out. But and that's why I was right. I decided to write the book to explain how the system works, because real estate is quite an opaque industry. It's very introspective. It's very difficult for business people to understand, well, oh, well, if I need space, I've got to get a broker, then I've got to do a tour, I've got to get a lawyer, I've got to do due diligence, I've got to get a contractor, I've got to buy furniture, I've got to get phones and stuff. And, and all of this costs a fortune and takes a long time. But all I want to do is get some space to either set up a business or expand or capture a business opportunity. And, and I was seeing over the years that, um, you know, I mean, the, the pace of business was accelerating. No one does five or 10 year plans anymore. It's three to five years at best. And yet we have an industry where if you want a new building, it might take two or three years to bring on stream. So there was a big disconnect between the consumers and the providers. And so, um, um, referencing back to um, to your military uh, background, uh, I said I need to write this book on the premise that business leaders need to be forewarned, to be forearmed, how to better engage with an industry where you either lease a building or you have to buy it, which is both costly and expensive. And then um, along came COVID and uh, accelerated a whole raft of massive changes, which... Uh, catapulted the, this book, which, you know, uh, I had hoped would uh, attract some business interest in Europe and in Britain and Ireland, and maybe a little bit because of my US connections via Disney. And uh, suddenly, uh, everybody is talking about 
going back to the office or not, the future of cities and all of this. And the I've been saying to folk, the office, the building is not dead, but the system underpinning it, how it's provided and how it's consumed needs a major overhaul. And by implication, to achieve that overall, which has to be done by both the consumer of the space and the provider, that's going to call for great leadership. Mm. Yeah, no, 100%. And I got to tell you, you know, one of the things like when I was reading this and listening to your your response there, one of the things that I've been thinking about is uh, it's kind of interesting. They, they've popped up a lot around Indianapolis here. And I don't know where the, this concept came from, but I, as soon as I saw it, I thought it was brilliant. We've had a lot of these uh, buildings, they, they use the term office suite and shared workspace. And I think that's just such a great concept because of everything you just said, right? Because like uh, the one closest here is there's a company called Elevate and they own a few different office buildings. But, you know, the it's very clear cut. The buildings are already built. They have office space in them. And depending on what size room you need, they range from... 350 to about $500 a month, no leases, no contracts, uh, securities included, internet's included, electricity's included. People move in and move out all the time as startups pop up and then they fizzle out. But the other thing that's really neat about it again, and we've kind of talked a little bit about diversity and stuff here. It's, it's just such a weird concept to walk into an office building and see uh, you know, massage therapist next to somebody doing eyebrows, next to somebody doing hair, next to somebody doing taxes. Why not? Why right. not? You know, it goes to my basic point that the only way um, businesses could consume the built environment was either you bought a building or at least a building. And about 25, no, it's maybe 30 years ago, uh, these executive suites um, started to emerge the, the history is um, there was a small business who name, whose name escapes me started in the US. Then in Britain, there was this guy called um, Mark Dixon who started something called Regis. And the name Executive Suites, which were basically for um, a sort of senior execs, evolved into something called serviced offices. Then in the last 10 years, these uh, what I call co-working and um, sort of um, ideas emerged, mainly for st startups. But then um, you probably heard of the organization called WeWork, and they were a quite a phenomena. They had a, a massive IPO, which went up in flames, but they brought to the attention of the general business world that you could consume real estate differently, along with all of these um, little local work hubs you've talked about, where people, you know, many small businesses can't afford a to, a lawyer and a broker to set up a formal lease and also the the obligation, the liability to pay rent, you know, on a monthly basis for space when you're starting a business. Like you think it's bad in the US. In Britain, for example, the leases there, typically you have to pay rent three months in advance. And um, the system, you know, I, in both in the US and in in Britain, um, I describe as medieval because the, the this idea of landlord and tenant, you know, I mean, the labels themselves, landlord and tenant, um, uh, you know, it's all about servitude, if you will. And 
I, I've been calling on the real estate industry to move from a, a view of servitude to service and to understand as the last element of the economy that needs to be disrupted to get into the customer service business. And um, I think they'll make even more money if they uh, you know, were providing space as a service where they would provide a variety of uh, work settings for a variety of organizations because you never know when you'll need your eyes trimmed or you know you need a haircut or you might need some tax advice and if there's somebody just down the corridor rather than around the block or in the next neighborhood wouldn't that be much more convenient Earl? oh definitely definitely and uh so yeah and it's it's interesting because yeah i've heard of regis i've heard their commercials uh before and i've forgotten all about them but uh, yeah, I mean, and I'm just really kind of interested to see, and I'm sure you are as well. Again, you wrote a book about it. Has we come out of COVID, how much these types of spaces are embraced as part of what they call here in the U.S. the reintegration strategy? So yeah, well, the you know, the, there's been a huge amount of um, commentary in the media from the New York Times to everybody talking about the return to the office, the future of cities. You're going to hear, hear a lot of reference to something called hybrid working, which is a mix between the office and home. And that's only part of the picture because I think you're going to see a lot more reference in the months ahead to people talking about a blended form of working. And it's not just this binary being in one place or the other, but it's going to also mean uh, companies are going to rethink their working models and their workforce strategies. Um, does Monday to Friday for office knowledge work make sense anymore? Um, could we open it up? Could we have a much more diverse workforce recruitment strategy so that if you're based uh, in Indianapolis, you can actually have people working in Boise, Idaho and Cincinnati and Sarasota and Austin. Um, but you've never thought about being able to do that before. Uh, could you reach out to talented uh, people who decided, mothers, for example, who decided to, uh, they couldn't uh, hack the commute because they wanted to focus on being a mom, but did have spare capacity to work and could work if they had the ability to work more flexibly on a remote basis. Um, how many members of our community are, 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 you know, are disabled, for example, and who cannot commute downtown, but are very capable of doing some work in, in their home environment or in a near home solution? Um, you know, even in the Far East, um, which is a very um, traditional culture, say take Singapore, for example, their big bank out there, Standard Chartered Bank, are saying to their employees that they can not only work downtown, they can also work if they wish at home, or they can walk around the block to a local bank branch, which has been uh, where they've got spare space and they, they have, there's local work hubs there. So they've got a blended choice. And so you know, I mean, like everything else we have in life, um, choice has arrived to the real estate world. But from the consumer perspective, because enterprises have um, discovered that they now have choice, um, that's going to place an even greater burden 
on the leadership and the C-suite to uh, a to have this courage of their convictions to explore things which are um, unproven. I think we are going to see in the next 18 months, two years, and I believe the United States will lead the way on this, a period of massive uh, experimentation to determine a 21st century way of working you know i mean you're not a million miles from where henry ford started the concept of the conveyor belt and um, you know you can have any car you want as long as it's black you know office buildings are the uh, ancestors of the factory production line until last year and that has been disrupted but we haven't got a clear model for what the new normal might look like and that will call upon the leadership of not only enterprises, but the uh, real estate investment world and indeed policymakers to figure out what uh, does the new organizational model look like and what sort of real estate consumption patterns will that call for? Oh, yeah. Well, and, and I like what you said there about there's going to be a lot of questions because and I, and I think some of the ones you hit on there are spot on. It's like we, we've gotten really pigeonholed into this, you know, Monday through Friday, eight to four or nine to five or, you know, and that's it. Well, like you said, what about that mother who is a single mother and their kid doesn't start school until uh, 8 a.m.? Well, can they work 10 to 6 and still get their work done? And you, you, you look at it. One of the things that uh, be interesting to see what your listeners think about is that in talking to other folk across the U.S., I've noticed, and, and this is in the last, you know, six, eight weeks, that people are really questioning uh, this thing we called commuting. And as an Irishman, I can say this. You Americans have a real love affair with your cars. You know, the internal motor, the internal combustion engine and cars and you guys and girls, you know, you just love driving. You just love getting in your cars and all that. And, and, but I've noticed that, you know, no matter where, um, I, I meet people, well, virtually, um, everyone's saying, do you know what? Driving up the 110 into downtown San Francisco, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, two hours one way. I don't really want to do that Monday to Friday anymore. I need, I need some flexibility here. Uh, you know, and th that same comment goes for most folk I've spoken to. So there's something happening out there, Earl. And that's going to mean that company leaders are going need to recognize this because if they don't recognize it it's a bit like um you know i mean just uh just looking the other way when your complete world changes all around you yeah well to that point you know and, and if my uh if my top gear memory serves me right i think you all call it caravanning uh but you know here in the u.s this this nomad lifestyle this you know hey instead of having a house i'm going to get myself an rv and i'm going to drive cross country and stay in this park this week and that park next week and you know we're talking about real estate here and, and these uh work suites you know it would be awesome to see a business that service those people where they could pull in for their campsite maybe rent a space for the week go work out of that and then move on to the next one because I, th I yeah. think that's where we're headed, right? Absolutely. And, you know, part of the discourse at the moment, no matter what newspaper you read or you listen to, you know, people are t 
delivering a certain narrative and I describe most of it as noise because you know if you're a, a realtor or a property investor you're concerned that you're um you know what I mean the goose that laid the golden egg uh, may well be disappearing and you're fighting like hell and with the help of some very big name saying you've got to get back in the office and you know then we see staff in the Washingtonian a couple of weeks back whose boss said to them you know you got to go back and if you don't we'll we'll change your pay and what did they do um they went on strike for a day um there have been similar examples of things on this side of the pool so the the workforce is 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 changing in all of this and i would say to my you know uh, friends colleagues in the real estate industry um you know stop being so negative about this and adopt the words of benjamin franklin who talked about out of adversary um comes opportunity and i i think you know the real estate if it has the courage and it has the leadership to look at this not as a challenge or the end of the great days when they were all able to make easy books and lots of them. Uh, let's figure out a new model. Let's um, support those uh, folk who have been innovating. And there's been lots of great innovation by companies such as the one you mentioned a few minutes ago and people like Convene and Serendipity and Industrious, whole rafts of people and um, a company called Liquid Space, uh, all of which have been innovating to provide new ways of consuming the built environment. And I think one of the other phrases we will see a lot of in the, the months ahead is a shift from dry leasing of space to the provision of space as a service where you can have a range of core traditional leases, flex leases, uh, um, on-demand space and some working from home. This idea that people are going to spend all of their time working from home on a permanent basis is not viable because humans are social beings. So the office as I said, is not dead, but it's going to need to be substantially redefined. And it'll be redefined in two ways by the organizations, say, like, for the example of Dropbox, they have relabeled their offices as studios and they're focusing their offices for as places where people can come together to collaborate, to be creative, to solve problems rather than to sit in rows and rows of desks. So big, a big brave move there by, by Dropbox. Um, other companies are playing their cards a little closer to their chest. But one way or the other, everyone's going to have to um, make a decision on what sort of organization and what sort of model they will have for how they consume offices going forward. And that all ties back to your core premise um, of leadership and having looked at your uh, your phalanx of leadership characteristics, each and every one of them is very relevant to these sets of circumstances. Yeah, no, appreciate that. And but yeah, again, I love what you're talking about here because we're talking about getting leaders to think kind of in in an extra dimension here because you know, I'm, and it's a, know, it's 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 around. If I sorry to cut across you, it's around that all of us who've got a a we've been around the block a couple of years. We've all grown up in what I would call a twentieth century mindset. Um, 
you know, influenced by the remarkable advances of the latter part of the 20th century. Um, but we focused on efficiency and homogenized thinking on a one size fits all. The digital century that is the 21st century opens up a whole Pandora's box of choice and the phrase ubiquitous choice. You ignore that at your peril and you have to think very, very differently. And what I'm seeing out there at the moment is people trying to use 20th century mindsets and playbook playbooks to solve a unique 21st century problem, which is it's just not going to cut it. And the, and the sooner the leaders realize that they have a responsibility to lead their organizations, whether it be in real estate or in the general business environment, into a proper 21st century um, setting, which is probably not another industrial revolution. I would hope for everybody to say that it might well be the dawn of the age of the human being, where we focus more on ourselves as people. We've um, hopefully come out of a, a global pandemic. We're not out of the out out yet completely and certainly the entire world will need to be uh, vaccinated before we can all judge ourselves to be safe but surely to god no matter where you are no matter what your tradition is what your cultural is what your politics is now is the time to think afresh and to focus on stuff that's important and to recognize that we're, we're just tenants on this planet and we need to be living our lives as so that we can be seen and feel ourselves to be better ancestors for those that follow us. Mm, no, I love that, especially that last piece. Well, let me present you, I want to present you with a couple of scenarios here that I've had recently and uh, interested to hear your take on it and maybe where I was wrong or maybe where I was right. So the first one is, Based on the conversation we're having here, you know, I was chatting with an individual, I'm not going to say the name of the organization, but they were talking about all the money that they have saved with not paying for electricity, not paying for, uh, you know, energy for, for heating and air conditioning, uh, not paying for telephone bills because they've been able to shut off lines and all this other good stuff. And talking about this this amount of money that they've been able to save and what to do with it and how to make these changes uh, for the future. And, you know, it's like, Hey, well, maybe now you've got a little bit more money to reward your high, high end uh, workers. Maybe you've got a little bit of money now to invest in some of these innovations to, to keep this thing going. And so they're looking at that right now. And then the second one was, is having a discussion with a leader and he was talking kind of negatively about uh, telework and not being able to come into buildings and uh, lamenting that, well, you know, how do I know that they're not just sitting there watching Netflix all day? And my question to them was, are they getting the work done that they're supposed to get done? Is it at a high quality? If so, does it matter that they're watching Netflix if they're getting everything done? Maybe that is a, a quality of life boost that's making them more productive. So what do you think about those two separate scenarios? Well, um, I think any savvy leader, if he or she 
has some spare dollars, it goes without saying that they will, their, their gut reaction should be to invest in their people and to invest in their development and to demonstrate to their, 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 their performers, their high performers, that uh, their contribution is valued and recognized. And, and, you know, you can pay that out in bonuses or, but, you know, I mean, my personal reaction would be I'd invest in a, in a training and development program. Um, I would invest in helping my managers to um, manage their teams um, in a, in the new mode. And the new mode will be a mixture of physical and virtual. And that brings me then to your um, uh, correspondent you talked about, you know, teleworking. Um, I would classify that person bluntly in the um, in the dodo category. Um, that person needs to understand that the ship um, has left port, the train has long departed, and trust um, is a two-way thing. And, you know, I mean, if you're a manager or a leader, uh, if the stuff isn't getting done, and this was the big revelation right across the world on the working from home experiment of last year, was that the wheels didn't come off. Um, some companies were caught out because they didn't have provision. A major bank on this side of the Atlantic um, needed to buy 24,000 laptops and improve their VPN to enable their people to work from home. But they didn't go off air once they sorted out those problems. Um, and it, there's this thing called trust. Now, you can actually test or track. You know I mean, there's loads of technology solutions out there, some of them quite intrusive, which can track what your people are doing in terms of keystrokes and all of that. But surely uh, in the third decade of the 21st century, we, we can say, you know, uh, and we can measure these things through other pieces of technology. If the business is not getting the work done, you know that very, very quickly indeed, and you'll be able to point to the reasons why it's not working. Um, and you know, the nature of work for a lot of leaders is my people, I need to see my people. And you know, that's a fallacy because, you know, for many of their people, they might well be situated on a floor, um, say in another part of the building, maybe they're on floor level four, level five and four level six. And, you know, the manager is on six and the others are the, the rest of the team is on five. Well, how does that manager know what's going on at the level below? They might as well be 300 miles away. Um, so it's all about really, you know, I mean, building a team spirit. And this goes back to your core, you know, I mean, theme of leadership to be able to lead people to say, here's the mission. Here's what I expect of you. I am holding you to account and I am trusting you, but there will be some checks and balances on that to get the job done. I'm not going to be looking over your shoulder every five minutes because I can't afford to do that. And, you know, I mean, the, the numbers speak for themselves. McKinsey, the big management consulting company, just in the last few days published a, a report of their clients called, you know, what are executives saying about the future of work? And in that report, most C-suite executives report an improvement in their organization's productivity, their customer satisfaction, their employee engagement, and their diversity and inclusion. So 
every cloud has a silver lining. I think the, the challenge here for leaders is to be able to have the conviction to invest now in retraining their management cadre to be able to manage people working both physically and virtually to get real with um, the fact that we can do things in, with across screens much more effectively than in endless hours of boring meetings in conference rooms which are stuffy and are in the middle of floors which probably are a health risk. There's a very interesting piece by Microsoft in the last few days showing a mixed mode meeting room uh, part people sitting in one physical location in a downtown look office and the others then coming in on screens and you know i mean that's uh, that's been around for decades um it never worked because it was expensive when it was introduced 15 20 years ago and it there wasn't the drive now there is the drive the costs are a lot less and the management willingness is there to allow people to do things differently, to experiment. And that opens up whole rafts of opportunity. It will, over time, uh, hard bake in real productivity gains, but also the hidden, the hidden dividend of all of this is the diversity and inclusion one, and the, the whole aspect of overall effectiveness of the organization which trumps efficiency every day of the week oh yeah definitely yeah and you made two key points uh there i mean you made a lot of key uh, a lot of great points but there were two key points i want to focus on one as you mentioned the the distance thing i just had this conversation uh mm. with with an individual not long ago where um I was chatting with some of the employees and they were talking about their reintegration process and the, the leader kept saying, well, you know, I, I miss seeing you people in the building and this uh, quote unquote employee, uh, he reached out to me later and he goes, look, I've worked here 10 years. I've seen that joker twice. I don't know why all of a sudden he needs to see my face because he's never around when we're in the building to begin with. But the other one that, well, and the, sorry, just to build on that very briefly, but it's an important point. You know, if you are an executive, a president, a CEO, a C-suite level, um, you know, I mean, how often are you in the building? Because part of your role is to be out and about meeting customers, investors and your staff. So being in the, the mothership, um, maybe half a day a week, if that, you know, so th there's a whole raft of, um, uh, contradictions um, and that's why I describe business and real estate as the odd couple um, you I know are a big fan of TV shows and you remember Oscar and Felix and that sort of connectivity in a way you could use that metaphor for the office boss and the office employee couldn't you yeah no 100% 100% I like that and you know the other one you, you mentioned there was that diversity and inclusion piece and you know, I've been chatting with some folks, uh, had a, a guest a couple episodes ago, we were talking about this very topic about how uh, companies now are realizing that they're not always getting the best talent. They're getting the best talent that it can afford to live where they are. But this has opened them up, this, this new way of looking at things. So now, you know, you can be Google and not require somebody to move to California 
but maybe they live in Jackson, Mississippi and, and graduated top of their class from Jackson State, a historically black college. But that same individual could never afford to work for you if you were requiring them to move where you're at. So you've got a much more diverse workforce. You've got a much larger talent pool to pull, pull from. And the end product for everybody is just increased success, right? And it's, but it, but it goes more beyond, you know, the big, yeah, the big poster kids such as Google. It goes to corporate America, your average, um, you know, your average business, you know, and there's many, many thousands of organizations, the length and breadth of the country who said, well, maybe I can just, you know, I mean, hire an Indiana. And, you know, there was, there's all sorts of state taxes and all that sort of stuff. But what if, you know, as a result of this, you can be much more um, broader in your recruitment policies. Uh, you'll get um, you'll get different um, folk um, from right around the breadth, of the length and breadth of the country, which I think adds even more value in the context of groupthink and bringing a richness of different um, mindsets. Yeah, particularly things like solving solving problems. You know, if if you have all the same type of people in a leadership group, as I learned when you're know, using high performing teams as a framework, I I knew that, you know, A, everyone was saying what I was saying and B, that we were all coming up with a very narrow range of solutions until I changed the mix and brought in a couple of really different people. And suddenly the discussion uh, was much richer and we came up with better solutions. So that's where this idea of a distributed workforces and distributed workplaces, you know, can give um, benefits we never thought possible. Oh, okay. Now you're really preaching to the choir there because I love the idea of cognitive diversity. We could talk for another two or three hours on that topic alone. Uh, but but I thought I'd leave the best wine to last, you know. There you go. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's true. Everything you just said is true. And, and cognitive diversity is just, it's such a such a powerful tool. Uh, and this, again, this opens it up. This this takes you from having like a screwdriver and a hammer to having like the entire craftsman work set. Uh, and I think that will enable corporate America to do even better better business um at scale and you know put america back on the map yeah <laughs> how about that for a statement i love it i love it see there you go america we got a, a an irishman talking about how to put america back on the map so i love it um well sir look we've been chatting here for about closing in on 50 minutes here and this has been a fantastic discussion time has just flew by for me i don't know about you uh, yeah, it's been a great uh, chat. It has. I really enjoyed this. And uh, I'm just curious, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to cover that you'd like to leave the audience with before we close out? I think there's one thing. And um, we're in the last chance saloon. And that's not about, you know, going from county to county, a dry county to a wet county or a wet county to a dry county, should I say. It's it's really about our environment, our our precious planet. And this is goes back to leadership as well. We've really got to get serious about climate change. In my world, you know, I mean, greenhouse gases um, from buildings of all shapes and sizes, according to, you know, I mean, US data uh, account for 40 percent. 
And we've got to get smarter about how we use the built environment. As I said before, the, you know, that great quote from uh, Dr. Salik, who invented the polio vaccine, that what sort of ancestors do we want to be? Uh, we really need to get serious about, you know, I mean, using this precious planet in a way that our children, not our grandchildren, but our children can have some sort of sensible use of it when they become adult. Oh, no, I agree with that. And that's, wow, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that statistic before, but 40% of greenhouse gases come from our buildings. So this, this, I mean, I guess this whole concept we've been talking about here, if we really utilize it to its maximum effectiveness, I mean, we could, obviously we're not going to eliminate 100% of that 40%, but let's just say realistically, we could knock out 20 to 30% of greenhouse gases easily. Absolutely. But by being smarter, you know, I mean, how many cities do we drive around and we see lights in office buildings, you know, at on until late at night or on all night? Um, how can we get smarter about commuting? How do we, you know, I mean, do so many things. We've got the technology, uh, you know, take the US, for example, you've got thousands of square miles of deserts, uh, solar power, you know, so there's there's lots of angles here and it's not beyond the um, our ability, but it all comes back to, you know, uh, Earl, you and I have been chatting about this, about it all comes back to leadership. We need our leaders to stand up and be counted. I love it. That's a great way to uh, to kind of end in that part of the discussion on. Um, with that being said, Chris. I, I hope if people have actually been listening, I don't see how they couldn't have kind of wanted to explore this topic more and, and find new and innovative ways to rethink the answer to that question, where is my office? And you have obviously or are obviously the person that they need to reach out to. How can they get a hold of you? How can they, uh, you know, find out? Sure. Very simply, out? Earl. It's, um, whereismyoffice.com. That link will bring you to my website. And there, you know, very happy, uh, love for people to buy the book and read it and give me some feedback. Um, it's been really well received in the US and thanks to everybody who's bought it so far. And if people want a bit of a helping hand to figure things out, to look at new, fresh perspectives to think differently. Um, you know, there's my contact details are there as well. And my friends at uh, our little business called Six Ideas, always uh, ready, able and willing to help people figure things out. Outstanding. I'll have the links to that in the show notes for everybody. And, and Chris, again, thank you very much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ireland. Have a great day. All right. You as well. And listeners, Thank you for spending the last, you know, let's just say roughly hour or so with Chris and I as we've talked about these things. I really appreciate y'all and, and what you do for the show. Uh, you know, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, burden.command at gmail.com. Just send them on that way. Uh, continue to take uh, that responsibility of rating, reviewing, subscribing to the show, sharing it with your folks that uh, you know. So great ideas, great philosophies like what Chris has shared can get spread around the world. Really appreciate you all doing that. Appreciate you spending uh, your time with us. And with that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. 
Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again on this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Electric acid.